We continue in our series on the Gospel of Luke, and so we'll look this morning at Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44. If you're going to use the Bibles there in your seats, that's page 860. Last week, Jesus was preaching in his hometown of Nazareth, and they were amazed at the words that he was saying, but they wanted signs, they wanted miracles more than they wanted the message, and so they didn't get the signs. This morning, we're going to see Jesus acting with miraculous power as he preaches the word in another town in Capernaum. Let's attend now to the word of God as we see the work of Christ preserved for God's people in Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirit, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had, who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them, and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? O oh, gracious God, we have heard your word read aloud, and we know your word does not return void. We pray, Lord, that it would have great effect upon our hearts and our minds and our lives, that you would allow me to speak your truth, your word to your people for their good and your glory this morning. Would all that is true and good be anchored in our hearts, and all that is of man be quickly forgotten like chaff upon the wind. Be with us now in this time. In the name of Christ. Amen. Our nation, the United States of America, was founded on principles of freedom, on principles of justice and opportunity. And as the nation grew in its youth, many of those ideals began to become established as the laws were worked out, our systems of governance, as cities began to grow, 
But then the West began to open. There was opportunity for a westward expansion. And so people sought land and wealth and space in the rest of the growing country. But as they moved west, those virtues of freedom and justice and opportunity were often slow to follow, which has made great fodder for the tradition of the American legend we like to call the Western. Now, there's lots of styles and lots of versions of Westerns, but a popular variation on the theme entails a tall, dark stranger coming into a town that should be prosperous and happy and free and just, living out the American ideals, but instead is overshadowed with fear, with unease. Instead of law and order, there is violence and chaos. The mayor or the sheriff, they're straw men with authority in name only, while secretly the town is run by outlaws and villains. The townspeople duck their heads, trying to stay out of the way just to get by, often suffering in silence. And so the retired or the reformed gunslinger in disguise is forced to get involved, drives the t evil out of town, restoring hope and prosperity before riding off into the sunset. Now, like so many movies and novels, it's a myth. It's a shared legend of half-truths and aspirational ideals about America, how one man standing up for what's right can bring justice and freedom to the wild and chaotic West. The story of how the West was won. No wonder it's popular. But what if it's not just a popular set of stories? We tell the stories we tell for a reason. We watch the movies we watch for a reason. And Westerns, like all sorts of adventure and hero stories, reflect our very real yearnings and desires to see the goodness of justice, the goodness of order, the goodness of opportunity actually reign in the places of violence and chaos and disorder our hopes that there might be someone that actually embodies those ideals and bring them from somewhere up there, somewhere out east, to where we actually live and work and have our being. We want and desire a rescuer who lives out those ideals. Luke chapter 4, 31 through 44 is not a western. But if you've ever watched one or if you've ever read one, you'll understand what happens as Jesus comes into Capernaum. Jesus comes into Capernaum to Jews who are supposed to be worshiping the living God as king and enjoying his covenant blessings. But they aren't experiencing the goodness of his rule. Instead, they are enslaved to sin. They are in the grips of evil and they are suffering. The reign of God seems distant. Jesus arrives, as the end of the passage summarizes, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. To make this announcement that God reigns. The kingdom of God is less a territory 
then it is a reality that God reigns. And Jesus is announcing that the goodness of God's reign is good news for people that will receive that truth. As he announces that good news, the goodness of God breaks in against the evil, against the suffering, freeing the people to enjoy the goodness of God. Jesus as the herald of the king, in fact, Jesus as the king, brings that good news to bear for the people, not with a six-shooter, but with his words and with his actions. Jesus practices the good news he preaches with authority, with power, with integrity, and compassion for all. Jesus delivers people as the proclamation of good news that God reigns. This morning we're going to look at how Jesus' identity and Jesus' pronouncement is lived out as he preaches with authority, with power, with integrity, and compassion for all. First, note how Jesus preaches this good news with authority. Verse 32 says, The people hearing him as he's preaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath were astonished at his teaching. Why? For his word possessed authority. Now, most rabbis, most teachers of that day, as they taught, it was less a declaration than it was a conversation, commenting and discussing what other teachers say. Well, well, this rabbi and this group, they have this opinion on this passage. They think this is what it means, but that's in dialogue with this group, and historically it might mean this. I think maybe this, but not that. Jesus stands out for teaching clearly and definitively. Think back to last week's passage where upon the rolling up of the scroll, Jesus says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It is with similar authority and clarity that he teaches this group in Capernaum. They recognize that he teaches with his own authority. But notice how he does that. Notice here that Jesus doesn't come in proclaiming his authority. He doesn't come in flashing his ten star and his warrant papers. He doesn't say, hey, listen, everyone, I'm the Son of God. Hey, I'm the Messiah you've been waiting for. I'm God incarnate. Listen to me. But rather, what he says and what he does and how he teaches reveals the authority he already has. And the people are right to recognize his authority. For it's attested to by the very demons Jesus drives out. The man in the synagogue stands out and speaks against Jesus. And as he's saying, as he's speaking to him, questioning Jesus, says this, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is a messianic title. For the servant of the Lord must be holy and righteous to establish the righteous reign of God for God's people. This unclean demon cries out, you are the Holy One, the Son of God, is what the other demons say later. Jesus has a right to say what he's saying. He has the authority to proclaim the reign of God, but notice it's not empty authority. He isn't one more religious leader claiming special revelation from God. One more rabbi, one more potential zealot who claims authority that they don't actually have. He comes with a th power that verifies that authority. 
If we want to think about the distinction between authority and power, think of the debit card as authority. This debit card authorizes me to access my bank account and spend the funds there. But it doesn't matter if I have the debit card if there's no money in the bank accounts. The, the money in the account is the power which the authority accesses. It's the difference between the old washed-up sheriff who has the authority but has no character or power or courage to enact it. Jesus comes not just with authoritative teaching but the confirmation of his power. Not with beautiful, compelling words presented with confidence, but there is power in the truth he proclaims, and that power is power that is above and beyond the powers of evil evil gripping the people. As Jesus preaches in the synagogue, a man beset by an unclean spirit speaks up in challenge. Ha! He faces down at Jesus. It's almost a challenge like high noon. Are you here to destroy us? Do you think now is the time where you have come to destroy us? Isn't that what the Messiah is supposed to do? On one hand, it could be a question. Is now the time of great battle? And certainly holy war is engaged here, but more likely the demon is not talking plurally of demons in general, but of him and the man that he is holding. He says, what, are you going to destroy me and in so destroying me, destroy this man whom I'm holding on to? It's a hostage situation. A gun to the head of an innocent bystander. You think you can kill me and this person survives? The freeing freeing of the hostage is not with a quick drawing, well-placed shot, but with the declaration of his word. Be silent and come out of him. Whatever power, whatever authority this evil spirit thinks it has to lay hold of the people that belong to God, ripped from its grasp as it's thrown out of him. As as. As the spirit comes out, it tries to throw him down. Notice what it says here. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. Jesus not only has power over the spirit to draw him out, but power to preserve the life of that man in the process. Jesus has power over the evil forces that enslave and cause fear among the people that should enjoy the freedom of the reign of the living God. But of course, his power is not just over the supernatural, over the realm of the spirits, but on also the very earthly effects of evil. We know where evil and sin goes, so comes suffering. When you have a tyrannical ruler, It's not far behind that often the crops fail or there's famine because there is corruption and injustice, because there is a lack of health. And here we see a form of suffering as Jesus leaves the synagogue. He goes to Simon, and this is Simon later called Peter's home, and his mother-in-law is sick, and not just sick with a fever. The the Greek there is high fever is probably appropriate, but it's great fever. She is seriously sick. 
Think how scary that can be. John woke up with a 103 degree fever this morning. Uh, glad that we have Motrin and Tylenol to treat such things. But it seems this woman has been afflicted by this disease for a long time and is likely expected to die. That's why they appeal to him on her behalf, saying, Lord, we need a miracle. And notice what happens. Jesus destroys the suffering that accompanies evil as well. He rebukes the fever. Not because it's demonic. We see later that there's distinction between diseases and the demonic. Jesus heals diseases and also demons are cast out. He's not rebuking this fever because it's a demonic fever. But in rebuking it, he is saying, I have authority over the earthly realm. He speaks and his voice is recognized just as it will be in chapter 8 by the very wind and the waves of a storm. So Jesus' words, his power, defeat the grip of illness. And Simon's mother-in-law is healed. But then notice what happens. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. I met when I was younger, I thought that this was a potentially chauvinistic passage that Jesus just healed her so that they could have lunch. I wouldn't put that past some of the examples of people that we've seen. Jesus doesn't heal her so that she can wait on them. Her serving on them is a demonstration of how immediate and full that restoration is. That in a culture where you cannot stand up and face other people when you receive guests without providing for their needs, she is, would otherwise be incapable of de- doing. She is restored to the fullness of health such that she can immediately get up and go about the tasks that she wants to, to provide. Jesus doesn't just get rid of the negative effects of evil, the suffering, but brings full restoration. As Jesus proclaims the good news of the kingdom, he does it with power and authority to drive out evil and its effects, to bring healing and restoration, and causes the people to wrestle with that. What is this word? What is this message that Jesus is proclaiming? As we can consider how Jesus brings the message of the good news of the kingdom of God to bear, I just encourage us to pause and think about the opportunity that we as his followers have to access that power. That Jesus doesn't just come to merely overcome the sin in our hearts, but also the evil which besets us from within and without. The power of evil that holds the world hostage We don't merely fight against flesh and blood, but as we read in Ephesians, against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces of evil. But we are not without power. In prayer, we draw on the very power of God that we see in Jesus, the power that he has promised that the gates of hell shall not prevail against. We have access to the power of Jesus to defeat the powers of evil in this world. In the word of Christ, we combat the falsehood and lies that grip people in spiritual bondage. Jesus is powerful to heal. He's powerful to restore. He's authorized to make right what is wrong. We're looking forward to the full experience of that when he returns one day. But even now, right now, Just as he did in Capernaum, we can experience the power of his healing, the power of his restoration, 
the letting go of idolatrous and supernatural and cosmic powers to free us to serve him. This is what we have in power as we receive the good news that Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God with authority and with power. He also preaches it with integrity. Often in the Western, the gunslinger, for all his violent ways or perhaps his ugly past, unlike the other characters, has a soft spot for women and children. And at the same time, can't be bought or can't be cowed like the past lawmen. The passage says that Jesus' authority here is recognized in his preaching. It's confirmed in power. And yet as the demons are being driven out of people, before the sound of his voice, they cry out saying, you are the son of God. Now on one hand, they might be trying to use Jesus' name in, in a last ditch effort to somehow exert power over him. Often this was the view of how the demonic and the spiritual worked. If you could name something its true name, then you might have power over it. Regardless, the demons know who he is. Uh, so I want you to think about this. There's an alternate reality of politics than the one that we're currently living in. And one candidate says of the other, that's the true president. That's the rightful president. What would happen in the campaign? Uh, the person who's described as the rightful president, they, they would quote that in every Facebook advertisement. It would be on every bumper sticker at every camp campaign stop along the way. My enemy, my opponent, has recognized who I am. I'm going to paste that everywhere. So notice what Jesus won't do. In silencing the demons, in telling them and re rebuking them to be quiet, he refuses to build the truth of his message on the testimony of demons. He commands their silence. He won't let liars speak a convenient truth just for the sake of the convenience. He will not establish his kingdom through the testimony of deceivers. What they say is true, but he will not allow that to be the basis by which his ministry is recognized and goes forward. Jesus does not establish justice and order, love and righteousness by injustice, chaos, and hate. This is perhaps what stands out most for me from this passage. Because when we are accosted by a world in the grips of evil and sin, when evil seems to have the upper hand, when there is so much injustice in the ways of this world, it can be so tempting. It is so tempting to compromise with evil in the pursuit of what we think is good. To go along in order to get along. If I just look the other way, if the sheriff just looks the other way, they won't steal from that prosperous rancher. They won't shoot up the town if, they, if the sheriff lets the buddy out of jail. This is what Jesus refused to do when he was tempted in the desert 
and what he will not do in taking up the cries of the demons. This is why we need Jesus and the way of Jesus because I see in my own heart and the actions of so many in the broader church how we fail in this regard. How we claim to seek good while giving voice to evil. We allow brothers and sisters to defend Christianity and Jesus and his way of sacrificial love through name-calling and hate-filled speech. We stand up for life while allowing certain types of people or certain stages of life to be forgotten or trodden upon. To threaten to take up the arms and weapons of humanity in order to defend the eternal kingdom of peace. To give in to greed and bow down to the power of money as we proclaim freedom from idolatry. Jesus does not need the testimony of the demons. He silences them because he would rather his ministry be attributed to his justice, to his goodness, to his love, and his truth than to be built upon the words of evil. Praise God that Jesus comes unwilling to usher in the kingdom through the testimony of lying lips, but through his own word confirmed in the goodness and truth of his actions. That is not to say that God in his providence doesn't use what's meant for evil for good. But this is not his design. Rather, he displays the goodness of the reign of God through the goodness by which he proclaims the truth. So Jesus comes proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God with authority, with power, with integrity, and with compassion. We read in this passage that Jesus has compassion on Simon's mother-in-law. He heals her. He hears their cries, their appeals on her behalf, and he offers healing. But then read verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. First notice the breath. This wasn't just well, I'm going to care for Simon's mother-in-law because he's one of my buds. He's going to be a future disciple. He's, he's going to be the rock. But all of those who came to him for healing received it. And notice also the depth of compassion. Whereas Jesus has the power and the authority to heal them by rebuking their illnesses as he does with Simon's mother-in-law, yet it says that he lays his hands on them. He offers his healing compassionate, humanizing touch upon many who were probably sick and outcast and marginalized because they were sick and ill. And Jesus touches them for their healing. The kingdom comes with a display of compassion and affection and love and restoration. Not only is Jesus tender in his display of love, but don't pass by the details of verse 40 and 42. It says this, Now when the sun was setting, in verse 40, so Jesus has been preaching and teaching in the synagogue. He then after that, probably in the early afternoon, goes to Simon's home, to his mother-in-law, tends to her, she's healed, she begins to serve them probably a meal. And as the sun was setting, all those who had other people with disease brought them to him. What does verse 42 say? And when it was day, he departed. 
Jesus has been up all day preaching and teaching, healing, and then he stays up all night healing and casting out demons. Such is his compassion that he gives of himself sacrificially of his energy such that when the morning comes he needs to withdraw to a desolate place so he can be restored, so he can what's most likely go to his heavenly father in prayer. Because he had been up the whole night healing the sick and freeing those afflicted by evil. In love he expended himself for the sake of others. The goodness of the kingdom is something the king desires his people to feel and experience. They are not only freed from evil, but freed to enjoy the good as he has compassion on them. Jesus shows the love of God to his subjects. The king loves his people, heals his people. The good news, the announcement of glad tidings of the kingdom of God is seen breaking in as the kingdom of evil is defeated, as the people are freed, all as a result of the compassion of the king. How would you respond if you were in Capernaum? If a man proclaiming the good news of God's reign came and all of the powers of evil are sent to heal. And all of the afflictions of the people are lifted from them. And he does this in love, not to establish a new tyranny. I'd want to hold on to that. I would want to cling to that. That's what the people of Capernaum did. But Jesus was unwilling for his ministry to be co-opted. Verse 42, And when it was day, he departed, went to a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. The blessedness of the kingdom of God will not be co-opted by a few, is not a local good. The people wanted him to stay, probably to fight off future illness, to protect them from future harm, maybe to be a talisman or a token of good luck, a local celebrity to be their guy. But Jesus didn't come to reign in Capernaum. He came to proclaim the reign of God over all. Jesus was not content for a few to hear and experience the goodness of the kingdom of God, but he said, I must proclaim it to all the towns. It shows us that Jesus is not merely a man looking for acclaim. He's not merely a man looking for acceptance or popularity, a group of people that he can be in charge of. His goal in his earthly ministry is not to attain, but to proclaim. To advertise the kingdom of God, to prepare the people to receive it. The good news is good news intended to be proclaimed, to be spread, to be shared, to be advertised, and widely broadcast. Brothers and sisters, we are not the end point of the good news. It is good news for us, but not just for us. It's not just good news for New Englanders, or Presbyterians, or Americans. It is 
good news for people throughout the world because God is God over all and his reign and the goodness of his reign is meant to be experienced by all who would call on the name of Christ. Jesus is unwilling for the good news to be delimited to one town, to one group, to one tribe. He goes to carry the good news throughout the land. Are we like the residents of Capernaum happy so long as we have the good news but selfish to keep it for ourselves or do we rejoice that Jesus comes rescues us and goes back out to find more who are lost I started by talking about the stories told by westerns but I want to finish by taking you back to an older story to a true story to a story of history to a land that was promised to be a land flowing with milk and honey. To Canaan. And a God who said, I am giving you this land so that you can enjoy my rule. Go in and conquer the land in my name and enjoy the goodness of my rule as you follow my commandments that you would be blessed and then you could be a blessing to others. If you know that story, you know that's not how it ended up. The people wanted the promised land, but they were unwilling to finish the work of driving out the evildoers within the land. They made alliances and bedfellows with those who worshipped other gods. And as a result, they suffered famine, war, oppression, failing not only to experience the blessedness of God, but to be the shining light of blessedness to the other nations. Jesus did what Israel did not. Comes driving out in the holy war all that which is opposed to the holy God. Removes the struggle of suffering that comes with worshiping other gods. Offers blessings so that that blessing can be expended. Jesus comes preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Compassionately, he uses his power to heal and to help, offering it to all those that struggle so that they can experience the freedom of God's reign. Jesus came to bring the blessings of God's covenant love, his perfect rule to bear in our lives and to the ends of the world. And having accomplished that, he does not ride off into the sunset, but promises, I am coming again to make all things right. That is the good news of the kingdom of God, that Jesus entered into this world, defeated sin and death, going to the cross, rising again from the dead, so that we could have all the blessedness of the reign of the living God. And that's good news. Let's pray. Lord, would we receive not only the good news that Christ preached, but the good news of Christ who offered in himself the blessedness of your reign, the conquering of evil, the experience of restoration, and the spread of good news. Would we heed the rescue? Would we receive the work of Christ, our Savior? In Jesus' name, amen.